Welcome back to the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're talking about The Mandalorian, Season 1, Episode 4, Sanctuary. Will the Mandalorian and the child ever be able to find a safe place to be? Can they help take down an ATST against uh, evil raiders fighting alongside villages? And is Cara Dune the most bay person in Star Wars? Coming up soon. So I'm Matthew S. Fox. And I'm Jeff Randall. Jeff, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic, sir. This is one of my favorite episodes in the series. I mean, there's only eight, but this one mm-hmm. this one is the best. Cause yeah? What, it what do you like so much about it? It introduced Cara Bay. Or, sorry, yeah. Cara Dune. Cara Dune is Bay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cara there Bay you go. is her new name. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot that I love here. Um. I love her character. I, I've loved this actress ever since um, she played Angel Dust on Deadpool. Uh, I know she's seen she's been in a number of other things. And I just, I loved getting to see, you know, we talk a lot about how this show is all about, you know, the people in the trenches, not the, the top people. And to have just like a random trooper who was part of the war, you know, not one of the generals, not one of the people leading the attacks, but... Yep. This is one of the people who we just see them for two seconds as they get, you know, mown down on Hoth or Endor. And now they get to hear the story of how someone got to fight for their, you know, the rebellion and what happens to them afterwards. That this is the kind of like deep storytelling that I love. Yeah, this is this is really fleshing out the world. And honestly, this episode, uh, if you look at the the grand scheme of it, like didn't really drive the overall story forward at all. It was just, you know, it was fun little pulp, you know, got some flavor to the universe and yep. and was just a, a fun little side thing, little side story. Yeah, this is and and I think we've talked about this a bit. I would like it if more shows, especially these kind of things, had episodes like this. Because to me, this is kind of the day in the life of a bounty hunter mercenary. You know, it 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 reminded me a lot of shows like um, Burn Notice uh, or Burn Notice is probably my favorite example, but also even like older shows like the A-Team and stuff like that, where it's about a hero and there's always sort of, you know, the client of the week. Yeah. Um, and with something like Burn Notice, maybe there's like a larger ongoing story as well. Um, but it's also really just that, you know, here's the weak, here's the bad person, here's the innocent people, the bad people are trying to fight. Here's the person who is cute and looks like they need help. And one of our heroes is probably going to flirt with them. And then <laughs> we'll have a big battle at the end and then I'll say goodnight. Like, yep. Yep. And you know, honestly, like you say, you know, here's our, here's our person who's cute and our, our hero, one of our heroes is probably going to flirt with them. But we didn't really get a lot of that here. Like we got a lot of, uh, you know, the the struggle with should I take the helmet off in this one, right? And I love that. I love that. Like other people want him to take the helmet off, and just like you can just live here, man. You can just give it up. You can just you know you can just be. And he's yeah. like, no, this is the way. Yeah, it's that it's that opportunity for him to to really kind of see like. Until now, we've only seen him, like, in the Bounty Hunter world and in the Mandalorian world. And this episode, we get to see, like, what happens when he steps out of that. Yep. Um, for those who are following along at home, I realize we should have done this maybe at the beginning, but let's just do a quick summary of the episode. Uh, and rather than ask uh, myself or Jeff to uh, – I've been putting Jeff on the spot to read those, but uh, today I just grabbed the one from Wikipedia. 
Arriving on the sparsely populated forest planet Sorgan, the Mandalorian encounters ex-rebel trooper-turned-mercenary Cara Dune. Following a short brawl, Dune explains that she's hiding after taking early retirement and asks the Mandalorian to leave. While he prepares his ship, two desperate fishermen approach, offering to hire him to drag off, drive off a band of Kaltunian raiders. He accepts the job in exchange for logging, lodging, using their credits to enlist Dune's help. At the village, they are hosted by Omera, a widowed, mo- widowed mother. The Mandalorian confides in her that no one has seen him without his helmet since childhood when his tribe took him in as one of themselves. They provoke the raiders at night, with Dune luring the ATST into a trap for the Mandalorian to blow up and forcing the rem- remaining raiders to flee. With peace restored, the Mandalorian plans to leave the child in the village, but a guild bounty hunter tracks it down and is killed by Dune. Realizing that neither the village nor the child would be safe, the Mandalorian departs with the child. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of things happening, and it kind of gives you a better glimpse of what's happening in the world. But the story itself is very self-contained. Yeah, like you could you could potentially take this one out and not have anything be affected uh, by its loss. Um, I'm going to say loss because is it would be a huge hole in my heart. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, y- you wouldn't you wouldn't lose anything because at the beginning they're on the run, and at the end they're on the run, and yeah. everything that happened on Sorgan was contained on Sorgan. Like what happens in Sorgan stays in Sorgan. Am I right? <laughs> no, it's true. And it's <laughs> I feel like I I mentioned it before, but have you seen the TV show Burn Notice? I have not. Burn Notice is I mean it's 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 a spy show. It's not genre in this kind of genre at all. Although it's a very good one. But it is my perfect example of how to mix story of the week with overarching story. Yep. Because generally what happens is the hero is working on some big mystery. That's the the story of the whole season. But he's got to pay the bills. And somewhere along the way, he takes on a client and has to deal with a spy case, you know, of the week. Right. And it, it always does a great job of letting there be moments along the way that show you either more about his character or more about his world or most often more about the overall overarching story he's dealing with while also having a very compelling story of the week. Um, And this episode to me is just the perfect mix of that because you're right. It's totally self-contained. We don't need it for the larger story, but we learn a lot about the Mandalorian. We learn more about, like I said, like ex-rebel troopers, what's happening in the world. We learn about like... Uh, we get some really nice character moments of the Mandalorian having to deal with, like, does he want to step away from the way? Does he want to be a normal person? I just, I, I agree with you. I think this is possibly my favorite episode in the show. Yeah, yeah. And when we're when we're meeting Cara Dune for the first time, you know, she she immediately establishes herself as a badass. You know, she yeah. takes on uh, she takes on the Mandalorian, straight up bare fist punching his helmet. Which mm-hmm. is a bad idea. They don't do that in <laughs> hockey. Like, yeah. come on, man. <laughs> they don't do that with their gloves in hockey. And she's just like straight up punching his face and knocking him like hitting him pretty hard. Like she's uh-huh. she's doing some damage to him. And you know it ends with them pointing their guns at each other just all of a sudden. And I I love that that she shows up like that and and doesn't have to like do something in front of him. You know, against like she's not having to fight off people in the bar or whatever. It's him. Yeah, like, they straight up throw down because we already know that our Mandalorian, our you know our our hero here, our pro- protagonist, uh, 
is a bit of a badass. We've seen him before. Like he takes on some big stuff, but then she's able to just throw him around. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I also think of this and, and almost always this would be a bad thing, but today it's not. I kind of think of this as cliche, the episode, because there are just so many cliches in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like one of them being like the two heroes have a fight and then realize they want to be friends. Yep. Um, but they all work and they all kind of remember like why is this – these are good cliches. You know, I definitely kind of rolled my eyes a bit when that fight started but then really liked where it ended up. And and then just in terms of other cliches, like I mean this whole story is like the, the classic traditional Western. You know, we, we've had a lot of other things that are evocative of the Western motif but this episode especially, you know, our hero's in town. He doesn't really want to stay. He meets an old friend. And, like, on his way out of town, he gets reminded that there's some terrible things going on. And so he reluctantly agrees to help. He then finds out that they didn't tell him the whole story and things are much worse than they are. Yeah. And he groans and says we should all leave. But, you know, they say, no, we should stay and fight. So he stays and fights and it all turns out okay. I mean, this was an exact Firefly episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, John Wayne has made this movie at least twice. Clint Eastwood at least once. Like, it is yep. such a cliche, but such a good one, and they do it so well. Yep, yep. I, you know, it's okay to have the cliche-type episodes if it if it's executed well. Like, if it makes us care about our character more, if it brings in... Like, if it, full, if it fleshes out the world in a way that we enjoy. Like, it was a good idea to do a cliche episode like this because they executed it well. Yeah. I think that's a very, very good point. So let's talk about some of the individual characters one at a time. So Cara Dune, obviously. We are a, a big, big fan of this character. What, what, <laughs> what, what, what's your thoughts on her character and how she's introduced? You know, I, I really like when, you know, like I said, when they introduce her and she, you know, she has the fight. Uh, or, well, she gets into the fight with the Mandalorian. But after that, when they're, when they're talking about it and she's telling her story, you know, it's really cool to see that, you know, she was a shock trooper. She was, you know, she was mopping up the you know the the empire uh resistance you know wherever and then mm -hmm. instead of fighting now you know now that everything's done quote unquote uh, we beat the emperor um she was on like bodyguard missions and and yeah. protecting politicians and she's like that's not what i signed up for so i'm out and yeah. it wasn't like a it wasn't like a you know let me get my papers and get out of here it was like i'm just leaving and she's worried that people are going to have a fob on her. Yeah. Yeah, it's it reminded me a lot of some of the things I liked most about Rogue One in terms of you've seen that movie, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that movie does a great job of showing like uh, one of my absolute favorite moments is when um one of our main characters like <clears throat> clearly he's on the side of the alliance, he's doing what he can. He realizes that he and the person who's helping him might be about to get caught. And he shoots the guy who's helping him. And, like, you realize he's doing it so he doesn't get caught. And, like, the Rebellion is better off if he does it. But it's a pretty morally gray moment. And yeah. it's a moment of, like, just because the fact that you're on the side of, like, good doesn't mean all of your people are, like, you know, happy just marching into the uh, into the line of fire. And and that's how I felt about this. Like, Cara Dune, it was just, she was just such an interesting character. You know, she, she hates the Empire, but she doesn't love, like, the, you know... You move from a rebellion to a republic. That's a pretty big shift. And I could see a lot of people being like, nah, I'm going to peace out. I don't want to be part of this. Yeah. Like, I did the fighting and, you know, you needed that. And maybe I needed that. And I'm not really great at politics. So let me take a step back. It's, yeah. That's kind of what I saw her doing. And, you know, 
there's bound to be other people like that. Like, obviously, that's a that's a thing that happens in the real world. So, you know, leaving out that sort of uh, that sort of mentality or that sort of outlook on things is it does a disservice to the world or to the universe yeah. that is being built. And, you know, I'm really glad that they put that here. And I'm really glad it came with such a uh, great character. Yeah. Great, great looking, you know, whatever. Carol Dune yeah. is <laughs> <laughs> There's many reasons why I love that character for sure. Um, but I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And I also think um, it also gives us in the kind of show don't tell idea, like instead of, you know, blue screen, go you know, blue text going across the screen saying, you know, in the years after the defeat of the empire, the Republic has struggled to maintain its authority and has appears to many as, you know, but, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'll admit I love that exposition, but still like, you know, she's just explaining her own character, but in so doing what she's doing also is telling us like, yeah, the new Republic isn't perfect. It's having a lot of dumb bureaucracy the way governments do. Like, I felt like this episode teaches me so much about, like, what's happening in Coruscant yep. after the, you know, because to be honest, like, someone signed up for your rebellion and now doesn't want to be a part of it and you're trying to track them down possibly with bounty hunters, like, that how that's rude. not a really cool side of the rebellion, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. How rude. <laughs> how dare you? I helped. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. I, I do also like, and I'm going to use this to kind of transition to the, um, when I mentioned the cute person, the the fact that that's Omera, it's not Cara Dune. Um, I, one of the cliches that I think is not a great one is you introduce a female character who's also a good fighter, and so our hero has to fall in love with him. Yeah. And I kind of love that, like, yes, there's clearly a possible flirtation between Omera and the Mandalorian, I think much more on her side. But I like that it's introduced in a way that's clearly, like, not all men... Like, men and women can be friends and colleagues and have no interest in each other. Yeah. And here's a person that he is interested in. But it's very clearly not Cara Dune or vice versa. Um, yes. What was, your, what was your kind of take on that? I just... I love that we get... We get both of those, actually. You know, we get the... He has to think about it with uh, with the, the farmer lady. And she's saying, you know, I'll take care of the kid or... Uh, you know, she's got her own kid. You know, she's saying you could stay here. And then Cardoon, on the other hand, who, like, I immediately shipped him. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I immediately shipped that. Uh, but she, they're just like, they're bros right after the yeah. fight. Like, they duke it out and they're like, all right, I get you. And they like, they fist bump and then, you know, they get back to being bros. <laughs> so, like, we get that, both of those dynamics in, in the same episode. And it's kind of the... um. I don't want to say like the two sides of the same coin sort of thing, but like we get, you know, a, a difference in relationships and um, it doesn't really like, you know, explore it in a deep way, but it gets presented, you know? Yeah. And I, I love that. I love that it got represented and I love that Cardoom was such a freaking bro about him wanting to leave. She's like, you could stay here with that fine piece of lady right there. Yeah. <laughs> And you're not? <laughs> and uh, what? All you got to do is take the helmet off and you can't put it back? Like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, no, I, I really love it. And I feel like it, it's a nice... I mean, it, it's funny you keep using the term bro, and I think it's very appropriate because that's the way we think about that relationship. Yeah. But it's also sort of showing, like, that relationship doesn't have to be gendered. You know, it doesn't have to be two guys treating like each other. Like, a woman and a guy and a, and a man can have that kind of a friendship that's just a friendship. Yep. Um, 
And I, I think it was very intentional of the writers to introduce, you know, the, the, the show has been pretty light on women characters. I, now that I think of it, had, there was the, the Mandalorian, like, craft woman who makes the, the armorer. Yeah. Is that the only woman character we've been introduced to? <laughs> In a lasting way? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, that's uh, a, a negative for the show and a negative for us for not really realizing that until now. Oops. Um, but But the fact that, because I, I, I feel like it would have been significantly worse to have the, on, the only woman who shows her face on the show be a romantic interest. Yeah. And so to introduce both of them at the same time, I really like. Yep. Um, what What's your kind of, we, we've alluded at it, but like, let's get more into like, what what's your take on a... Uh, you know, on Omara and like what she, where, where her and the Mandalorian could have gone and what he chooses to do. You know what? I don't even want to talk about that. Where did she learn to shoot? Okay. That's, that's a possible, that's shoot a question. Like that. <laughs> I mean, everybody else, everybody else there is, uh, you know, just a farmer and obviously like has problems remembering which end of the stick is pointy, I guess. Uh-huh. I mean, there was that one where it was like, you know, Kara had to flip it for him and be like, come on, man. It's a yeah. spear. You, you stab with it. Come now. Uh, but, uh, you know, they they were all farmers and they had to go through a, a training montage to get anything done. And, you know, after one day of training, everything's fine. But that's that's a negative against montages, in my opinion. But that's beside the point. Um, everybody else was kind of incompetent when it came to combat in any way. But uh-huh. then she could shoot. And when asked, when, you know, they asked everybody who... Who here knows how to shoot? And she raises her hand. I'm like, okay, well, where's that backstory? Come on now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that's something that wound up on the cutting room floor. Because I could easily see it as, um, you know, maybe just like because she's on the farm a lot and there's like animals and stuff. But, I mean, she could be a former soldier. Yeah. I like, mean, I, maybe she bullseyed womp rats back home. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we don't know. It's definitely a, it's definitely a bit of yeah, an interesting bit of story that I would have liked to explore a little more. Um. I will say, um, I don't, I didn't know much about the Mandalorians before I started the show, but I've been, uh, I have some good friends who've been helping me a lot, who really know the lore from the stories quite well. And remembering also a lot of it from the TV show, the, the Clone Wars, as well as now reading some books of, of, about that time. And I realized that this whole idea of the, like, in a lot of ways, this has been fairly true to a lot of the mythology about the Mandalorians up to this point. But the idea that a Mandalorian doesn't take off his helmet um, is at least as far as I understand it, I'm sure we'll get some angry emails if not, but is, is something I think the show came up with. Um, what, do you have much, much of that knowledge or you I kind of, as don't a, have any knowledge yeah. of that. <laughs> so this yeah, it's, <laughs> what, what, what's your kind of take on, um, I, I've said that phrase a few times now. Um, but yeah, like, did, I found it like a very interesting part of the character, but I wasn't at first I was like, well, they must've done that because of the TV, because of the, the lore. When I found out it's not really as big a part of the lore, it made me even more interested. Like, why did they make that choice? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a question. Um, why do they have to hide their face? And who came up with it? It's not one that I have any answers for. Um, yeah, but it is interesting. It is interesting in that, like, that's a that's a choice that you have to make from a very young age. And being a child and being told, like, this is your helmet, you have to keep it on. And don't ever take it off when other people are around and can see you. Like that's a big deal for a kid. I guess it, yeah. you know, it just shows dedication to the way and um, the dedication to the to the creed of of Mandalorian. 
ness. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want. I also wonder if maybe maybe the way they're going to explain it, if I because I hope they get more into it, is I wonder if it's related to the purge and like. You know, they've been saying recently that Mandalorians are being hunted and that Mandalorians are very unsafe. And I wonder if there's an idea of, well, no, that doesn't make any sense because it's like if people know your real face, then they could find you based on your real face. But you never show it to anyone. So who cares? Um, The helmet is more indicative of being a Mandalorian than your face. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I I got nothing. But uh, fans, if you have more thoughts on this, uh, I'd love to hear it because it's certainly a... It, it was something else I found very striking about this episode was, you know, him really being confronted with this chance, but being like, no, not taking off my, because I, I think, isn't this the episode, I, I, I saw it a couple weeks ago and we had to keep changing um, recording schedule because of craziness in my life, but um, wasn't this the episode where, um, no, it's later that he gets hurt and, and might have to take it off, but I think yeah, it's like the last episode. I think there's a moment where, like, he, like, she wants to feed him, but, like, he won't eat in front of her because he has to take the helmet off. Is that correct? There is that. You know, she she brings him food, um, and uh, she has him, when's the last time you took that off? And he says, yesterday. <laughs> she said, in yeah. front of somebody else. And he's like, oh, yeah, not since I was a kid. Um, and then there's, at the end of the, of the episode, she grabs the helmet and starts to take it off. And he grabs her hands and is like, I can't. You know, this is this is the way. Right. Um, he does though, after she leaves, when, when she leaves the food with him, he does take the helmet off and, and eat. Right. And we, we, the audience get to see his face. Not, not in this episode. Oh no, that's a later episode. Okay. That's yeah. right. Thank you. He, um, he leaves it, uh, he leaves the helmet like on the windowsill with, with mm-hmm. the giant open window and the kids are only like 15 feet away, but nobody can see him. Nobody can see his face. That's right. It's a bit of a, like, it felt kind of silly that, like, it's okay if they're, you know, right out there. But if any one of those people out there looks in the window, you're you're screwed, man. <laughs> you know, it might be one of those laws of, like, I did what I could to avoid it. It's not my, you know, I didn't choose to let it happen yeah, or something right. like that. But it does, I mean, I, I have to imagine that it's a sort of thing of, like, you know, no one but your family can see your face or something. Because, like, you know. Family dinners are kind of hard if mom and dad can't take off the, the helmets in front of each other and the kids, you know, yeah. like. All right, um, guys, everything is blended. We're having smoothies <laughs> for every meal. I've got this specially made straw that goes under your helmet. Letting alone the creation of kids has to be a somewhat um, odd experience that we don't need to get too into. Um, <laughs> hey, you want to bang helmets? There you go. There you go. <laughs> Romance in the Mandalorian world. Yep. Hey, I'd like to clank her helmet. <laughs> what? Oh, God. Okay. Uh, we're this, we're, we're, this we're reeling you back in now. Yep. Reeling you back I'm in. getting way out there. <laughs> we're, we're stuck in our houses for a long time. It's It's yep. been a thing. Um, yeah, the big battle scene. Um, I I often think kind of set piece things like this can get kind of silly, but I kind of loved it. What, what about you? I like that uh, it showed that there's something that they can both, like both of these badasses fear, you know? And ATSD yeah. is something to contend with. I mean, they know how to contend with it, and the best way to deal to do anything about it is to get the hell out. You know, yeah. And they gave them that option. They said, you know, you guys got to go. That's that's the best thing to do is to leave. And then they were like, no, this is our home, and you know these these ponds were seeded by our grand or by our ancestors. Like, cool, take fish, get out, go, go, go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. And you know, then they. You know they have to go and do their thing uh in the orc camp, obviously um 
And yes, I'm going to call them orcs because they look exactly like orcs and they, they function they really exactly were space like orcs. They were space orcs. Come on. <laughs> uh, but the, the ATST being there was, um, I feel like it was found hardware, you know, like, oh, we found a, we found the thing. This is our ticket, you know, this yeah. is our ticket to getting everything. Um, and our heroes had to do something about it. And it's something that's scary. You know, we, we saw these in Return of the Jedi and it was it was a big deal to have to deal with these. Yeah. Um, you know, and we don't have any Ewoks around. So. Although it's interesting that like their, their solution to it was kind of Ewokian and that it's, again, it's a like, it's you a know, trap. it's a trap and it's kind of like using nature and using like kind of primitive fighting methods against the big hulking machine. Um, and it's, I don't know if you can go to that well too many more times, but I certainly thought it was done very well here. You know, I liked at, at first because, like, I don't know if you figured it out, but the whole time they were digging the ditch, I had no idea what was going on um, and why they were, like, so eager for it to step into the water. Um, and yeah. then when it finally did, I was like, oh, now I get it. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a bungee pit. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. It, it definitely had a sort of, like, you know, the middle schoolers all get together to figure out what to do with the high school bully kind of feel to it. Like, yeah, let's tie all of our shoestrings together. And when he's walking down the hall, we'll, you know, yank it up and trip him. And then we'll jump on his head. That sort of thing is kind of, <laughs> and, that's kind of what happened here. Yeah. Just without the shooting of the blasters and blowing him up. Um, you didn't do that to yeah. the bullies in your school? Nah, no, we just uh-huh. do it. Ours was a very different kind of place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah very schools weird in Alabama school. are way crazy. Yeah, New York City, I think, is a little bit different. <laughs> we probably went to very, very different experiences. <laughs> but yeah, so, and then um, I, I like the last moment of, and again, it, it, it felt very much like what you'd expect, but, because um, I will say, I, I never bought that the Mandalorian was going to settle down, but for a minute, I did buy that, you know, maybe he was going to leave the child there. I thought maybe we were going to have, like, one or two episodes of him off by himself trying to deal with stuff. And then he realizes that there's like trouble back home and he's going to go rescue the child. But, um, I, I like that. They kind of made me believe it. And then, you know, the bounty hunter shows up and he's like, Nope, can't, can't do this. I got to take a child with me. Yep. Out of here. I, um, I, for a moment I was thinking that he would, he would leave him, but that there would be, you know, there's obviously something that has to happen later in the series where like, you know, the, the he leaves the kid somebody comes up and and grabs the kid from them and then sends him a message like ah thanks for leaving the package in such an easily you know non-defensible right area yeah. and ha i'm twirl my mustache and get out of here <laughs> and then you know then he has to to rally and show up and do what he right. does um but i you know i I kind of appreciate that they didn't do that. They, you know, they didn't allow the mustache twirly villain to be villainous. Right. Yeah. And it was just, it was just another guild person, but it makes sense. Like the guild people would be tracking him. And it's like those fobs don't go away. They still, all of them still have those fobs. Yeah. And there's something interesting to me about like, it's this big, huge galaxy, but still like people can track you. People can chase you. Um, yeah. and, and what we have to do for that. So it's not so big a galaxy after all. <laughs> exactly. So with that, um, I think that's about all we can say about this episode before going into a spoiler section. Um, so for anyone who has is watching along uh, with us and hasn't seen the rest of the show, please kind of step out in a second. Check out all the things on our uh, show notes about uh, how to learn more about this podcast and other podcasts of the Stranded Network as well as how to contact us. And for everyone else, uh, spoiler warning in three, 
two, one. Cardooner's Bay. It's not Cardooner's a spoiler. Bay. <laughs> you knew what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's not too... In terms of like what we what this episode tells us more once we know more of the show, like I feel like certainly knowing that Cara, Cara Dune comes back is great and like gives what we see of her character kind of another dimension because it's nice to know that like that part of the world is going to keep getting fleshed out. Um, but as you said, I don't think like there's I don't think any of the later episodes put any of this episode more into context anyway. Do they? No, not really at all. I mean, we get to learn a bit more about. Cardoon just as character and what those stripes on her arm mean but that's about it right I mean the um the the series as a whole you know I I would say that it doesn't really benefit from this episode at all but it, it doesn't detract from it either like there's no point yeah. in in not having this episode other than you know you would lose the intro of Cardoon but it could have just been anybody that he had met before that he that he rallies with in you know, episodes seven and eight. Right. There's um, um, one of my, uh, I think it's in the intro to the stand. Um, Stephen King writes an intro to one of his books where he, he basically takes a fairy tale. I think it's Goldilocks and the three bears and he tells it two different ways. And one of the ways he tells it, like he tells you every plot point, but he basically doesn't use any adjectives. You know, he like strips away all of the details that make the story a fascinating story even though they don't actually add to the plot in any way. Um, and yeah, I think that's what this episode is. It doesn't, this episode doesn't tell us more about the overall story, but it makes me so much more interested in the world in which the story takes place. Yes. The series is a noun. This episode is an adjective. Yeah. I think it's a really good way to put it. Yep. That's, I mean, I approve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I approve. Um, and having her come back uh, to, you know, to be a badass. And the fact that she, whenever, uh, whenever she's told like, Hey, you might want to cover up your stripes. She's like, nah, <laughs> she's, mm-hmm. she's like, nah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I love it. I love that. She's just like so proud of what she, what she did, uh, but not where it's gone. You know, like right. she's proud of having been a shock trooper, but she's not necessarily proud of where the Republic ended up. Um, and, you know, she doesn't want to hide those stripes, but then they, they do talk about in, I think it's episode seven, uh, where Werner Hurt, that Werner, the, the client, Werner yeah. Hurt, Herzog, it's so hard to say his name properly. Um, when he sees her, you know, he, he talks about how, you know, they were just cut down by, or no, I don't, it might've been Giancarlo Esposito that, that did it, um, who talked about how her and her friends and everybody that she was in, you know, in uh, the, the Republic or in the resistance army with, uh, they were cut down and out of the sky with, you know, these, this weapon that they brought up and, you know, to have her react to that and, and kind of dig in just a little bit more mm-hmm. and dig in just a little bit more with, with her backstory, with what she's been through. Like, ah, I just, I love that they fleshed that out a little bit more and a little bit more. Yeah, it definitely makes me um, it makes me so much more curious about what because I don't like I don't think we ever heard shock troopers mentioned in any of the Republic uh, stories so far. No, it's um, got such a negative connotation to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds because, yeah, again, it's that like, you know, the rebellion. We're all supposed to be like happy go lucky warriors, you know, and now thinking <laughs> about like, no, we had elite troops who did, you know, some they did the hard things they had to do behind enemy lines. Um, 
yeah, it just like there's a part I, I always think a lot about like what are what is all of the you know further media we're gonna get and i would love to have like i mean a because we get more cara dune but i would love to get like a movie or a a, a short episode tv you know a, a short run miniseries that was just like a gritty war movie about like this group of shock troopers during the the war against the empire oh um, man that would be so great yeah um star wars battlefront uh the first one original on xbox uh, battlefront 2 is the one that i played um that goes through like it follows the story of the 501st uh and i would mm. love to see something like that but for her troop or and her unit yeah that could be really good especially because it's like that's when everyone shifted away from clone warriors to actual real people warriors and i i'd be very like that alone just brings up so many questions about like you know the you form battle plans and technology around clones and now you're switching to real like not that clones aren't real people but like what does that switch do and <laughs> clones yeah. are people too they are. They are. That's a big topic in the other half of the show about the Clone Wars. So, yep. All right. Any uh, last thoughts before you wrap up? Uh, not really. I mean, it's a, it's a fun, refreshing little breather before getting into the uh, the real big stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, in later episodes, I, I like it. Yeah. It's kind of a nice, nice end. Like it being episode four, it's kind of a nice end of the first half. So. Fans, um, what what are your thoughts? Um, tell us what you think. Especially, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the um Mandalorian helmet and all the lore there, and uh, why you think they have to keep the helmet on. Um, but also just you know your thoughts on um uh, any parts of this episode, things we got right, things we got wrong. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, or by email. All the information's in the show notes. And as I mentioned, we have a number of other great podcasts. Um, I run uh, an episode, uh, a podcast called Superhero Ethics. And I'm also on the Orville Universe podcast for the TV show The Orville. Jeff is also on um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and has just launched uh, Binger's Assemble. Uh, yeah. Jeff, you want to talk about that for a moment? Yeah, Binger's Assemble is uh, the podcast where we rewatch movies so you don't have to. <laughs> it's um, and it includes sequel. some X Men movies that I really don't want to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's just really quick discussion and overview of plots of you know previous movies that have a sequel coming up. Uh, in the in the coming weeks, uh, we were we started with the X Men, uh, just to kind of get our our MCU and Marvel roots out there, um, and kind of bring those you know people with that uh, with that launch. And you know we started with the X Men stuff, and from there we'll we'll be doing uh, some Daniel Craig James Bond for uh, No Time for Pie later this year. Nice and um, Furious Nine, I think it is is coming uh -huh. out. Uh, the, then Matt's going to be doing uh, stuff with a co-host there. And the, the big thing with this is that it's, it's kind of just a recap and light discussion, but it's, it's shifting the co-hosts or shifting the hosts. So right. it's, you know, if it's not my fandom, well, let's bring somebody else in who is a part of that fandom who does love those movies. So it's, it's usually always joyful. Uh, I can't really say that about the apocalypse episode that we're, <laughs> that we're going to talk about. There's a certain joy in ripping apart a piece of bad media. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm 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 really excited about it, both as a fan and uh, I, I've spoken to Matt a little bit. I'll probably be a host for a couple a couple things or at least a guest. Um, but I know to me, there's something great about watching everything before a sequel comes out. You know, starting with maybe movie four. Every time a new Harry Potter movie would come out, I would watch all the ones before it and like. With Lord of the Rings movies, I would always watch the one or the, the two before it. And I certainly did that with a lot of the Star Wars movies. But we're getting to a point, like, 
if I said I was going to, like, I rewatched all the Avengers movies before um, Endgame, but, like, if I did that before every Marvel movie, I'd go insane. <laughs> um, yeah. Let alone for, you know, we have so many sequels and so many things coming out. But I hate to go to a movie and realize, like, there was some great Easter egg that I totally missed. And so I love this because I feel like listening to you guys is entertaining, but it also means that when I go into the the new X-Men movie, I'm going to know, like, you know, be up to date and be like, I'm not going to forget the big details. So, yep. yeah, it's a great podcast. I definitely suggest people check it out. Bingers Assemble. You can find that on the um, Stranded Panda Network as well as all the other things we just talked about. So, yeah, please check some of those out. Uh, thank you guys again so much for being a fan. Please uh, leave us a review. The We're still kind of getting the, the our feet under the ground for this podcast. Please leave a review for us on iTunes or somewhere else. Tell people why you love the podcast. Tell people why you listen. Uh, share it with your friends. Help us get the listener numbers up. It's a great way for us to kind of um, build the community, build the network, and and bring so much more Star Wars content to you guys. So uh, I'm half myself and Jeff, as well as Riki and Sarah, my other co-hosts. Uh, please keep tuning in. Have a great day. I've spoken. Yes, you have. <laughs>